0: Greetings in the Master's name. Start out with a little bit of a Bible quiz. Who can tell me the last four words of John 17:17? John 1717 is an easy reference to remember, 1717. But what's the last four words? This is about as active as our men's Sunday school class. (laughs) That word is truth. That word is truth. The last four words there. Now, that's the answer to a question that was asked later. Jesus given, uh, teaching his disciples uh, as they were in the upper room and went on out to the Garden of Gethsemane, there, those chapters in John from John 13 on for several chapters. So, several hours later, there was a question asked, and those four words are the answer to that question. What was that question? What is truth? Pilate asked, what is truth? <clears throat> Jesus had already answered the question in teaching his disciples, that word is truth. <clears throat> the title of the message this morning is The Word. Okay, so when we say the word is truth, when we say the word, That word is truth, what are we talking about? When we say, I don't know, you know. Yes, the word of God, the Bible. Okay, so that's okay, you kinda answered that, so but what is the Bible? Pardon? Yes exactly. Um, all scripture I should ask you what that reference I should ask you for that reference but all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is pro, and is pro, see I should I know that but anyway um, Timothy 3:16. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given, and uh, take your Bibles and turn. Most of you know uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, but turn to Peter, Uh, Peter, first chapter of Peter, first chapter of 1 Peter, or actually it's the first chapter of 2 Peter, Okay, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It says basically the same thing as 2 Timothy 3, 16. It wasn't man's idea. That's what it says here. Um, no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. It was not some, somebody's personal idea. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, it's inspired by God. It's God's revelation to us. And that, that is, um, it's amazing um, well, first of all, God breathed, God's revelation of himself to man. It tells us who man is. It tells us how man can understand himself. It tells why the world's the way it is. It's got the answers. It's the solution key to the questions of life. God has spoken. In Hebrews, it says, God who in... Here again, uh, those things are getting away from me. Um, I know those verses, but uh, let me just turn here. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners Spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And so there you have those words. God has spoken. God has spoken. And uh, there's, I don't know if it's still going on or not, but in years past there was this uh, thing called CETA, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And uh, like the, uh, the telescope there at Green Bank was involved in that. Telescope. So they, were, they were looking for uh, signals from outer space uh, sort of a, uh, if there would be a pattern that would that would uh, indicate intelligence and somebody's out there trying to talk to us and uh, somebody out there has talked to us, has spoken, God has spoken. And so this creator of the universe and, and you start thinking about the vastness of the universe or you can talk about the microscopic, the life of the cell. Anyway, God, the creator of all this, God who's king, God who's, the omnipotent one, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's, he's spoken to us. He, he made the universe. He created the universe. And he told us how things work. That this, 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 this almighty astounding God has spoken to us. He's told us. And he's told us things that we can't figure out. It doesn't matter how brilliant man is. He's told us things that man can never figure out by himself. And we've got it. I mean, we, we've got it right here it's amazing God has spoken you know in school I had I had courses in psychology and sociology and economics and so on and I thought you know the Bible is the greatest psychology book that was ever written it's the greatest sociology book that was ever written it's the greatest economics book that was ever written if you want to understand economics in light of eternity and I said it, 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 it tells us how we can understand ourselves it tells us how it just tells how we're made up. And I want to read something here uh, a man's experience from hundred years ago in this little book, amazing little book, it's not in print anymore God's Word, unique, magnetic, eternal. He's got a lot of incidents uh, that show that. It's about Colette, a witness Emile Colette. Through my college days in France, I was an agnostic. Strange as it may seem, I graduated without ever having seen a Bible. The education I received proved of little help through frontline experiences as a lad of 20 in World War I. What use the philosophic banter of the seminar when your own buddy, at the time speaking to you of his mother, dies standing in front of you, a bullet in his chest? Was there any meaning to it all? One night a bullet got me, too. An American field ambulance saved my life and later restored the use of my left arm. I was discharged and resumed graduate work. I found myself probing in depth for meaning. During long night watches a few yards from the German trenches, I looked at swollen bodies dangling in the barbed wires. I'd been strangely longing for a book that would understand me, but I knew of no such book. Now I would, in secret, prepare one for my own use. And so as I went on reading for my courses, I would file passages that spoke to my condition, then carefully copy them in a leather-bound pocketbook I always carried with me. The day came when I put the finishing touch to the book that would understand me and help me. A beautiful day. At last, I opened my precious anthology. As I went on reading, however a growing disappointment came over me. Then I knew that the whole undertaking would not work simply because it was of my own making. At that moment, my British-born wife, who knew nothing of my project, appeared. I had once for all made the subject of religion taboo in our home. She had secured a Bible from a Huguenot pastor. As she now stood in front of me, she meant to apologize, but I was no longer listening. A Bible, you say? Where is it? Show me. I've never seen one before. She complied. I literally grabbed the book and rushed to my study with it. I opened it and chanced on the Beatitudes. I read and read and read. Now aloud, with an indescribable warmth surging within, I could not find words to express my awe and wonder. All of a sudden, the realization dawned upon me This was the book that would understand me. I needed it so much that I had attempted to write my own in vain. I continued to read deep into the night, mostly from the gospels, and lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them became alive in me, to me. The circumstances amid which the book had found me made it clear that while it seemed absurd to speak of a book understanding a man, this could be said of the Bible because its pages were animated by the presence of the living God. To this God I prayed that night, and the God who answered was the same God of whom it was spoken in the book." It reminded me of a little poem by John Greenleaf Witter. We search the world for truth, We call the good, the true, the beautiful, from graven stone and written scroll and all old flower fields of the soul, and weary seekers of the best, we come back laden from our quest to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. Ali's Bible Handbook has a good bit to say about reading the word. Uh, He says, the habit of Bible reading. Everybody ought to love the Bible. Everybody ought to read the Bible, everybody. It is God's word. It holds the solution of life. It tells about the best friend mankind ever had, the noblest, kindest, truest man that ever trod this earth. It is the most beautiful story ever told. It is the best guide to human conduct ever known. It gives a meaning and a glow and a joy and a victory and a destiny and a glory to life elsewhere unknown. There is nothing in history or in literature that in any wise compares with the simple annals of the man of Galilee, who spent the days and nights ministering to the suffering, teaching human kindness, dying for human sin, rising to life that shall never end and promising eternal security and eternal happiness to all who will come to him. Most people in their serious moods must have some wonderment in their minds as to how things are going to stack up when the end comes. Laugh it off, toss it aside as we may. That day will come and then what? And then he goes on uh, more things about the scripture. Um, Let's see, I think there was maybe something else there. What did he say? How can any thoughtful person keep his heart from warming up to Christ and to the book that tells about him? Everybody ought to love the Bible. Everybody, everybody. And he had different words in there describing the Bible. And um, and just, uh, I think it was just yesterday, this came in the mail. The last newsletter from All Nations Bible Translation is talking about how they have uh, the uh, native or indigenous people that help them to translate into the mother tongue to get it right. It says, as for the mother tongue translators, they become disciples, first of the cross-cultural team and ultimately unless they reject him of Jesus Christ himself. Take, for example, a Mixtec translator. translator, I think that was in Mexico, who is not yet a believer. Profoundly impacted by Jesus' power over demons as he helped translate a New Testament story, he thought deeply and exclaimed, "God's words are beautiful." That was an unbeliever, but he's seeing the he's seeing the truth. Uh, turn to Psalm 119. You know, Psalm 119, the whole chapter, all 172 verses or whatever it is, are about God's word. Psalm 119, verses. Okay, verse 34, Psalm 119, 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Now, 144. Psalm 119, 144. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. And then verse 169. Let my cry come before the oak. Lord, give me understanding according to thy word." You notice in those three verses, all three verses said, give me understanding. One of the things that prompted this message, uh, some of you may have noticed in the news, uh, two weeks ago there was a double homicide murder just a mile up the street from Mabel in all, off-campus housing. And um, there's considerable outpouring of support. Uh, one of the one of the men killed was a 23-year-old man, I think it was, from North Carolina. The other one was a 17-year-old student at Harrisonburg High School. And uh, so, like I say, there's a lot of community um, outpouring of support, which is good. Um, and I was just going to read. Um, a little bit of those news articles here. Um, okay, this was uh, last week, uh, last weekend on Friday. Uh, the, the murder was two weekends ago. Friends, family, and fellow community members gathered on Friday evening at Court Square in downtown Harrisonburg to remember, and I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, Kalor. Fields, a 17 year old boy shot and killed at a party, and other victims of gun violence. The Rockham County Sheriff's Office received reports of shots fired around midnight, April 14, Friday night, or was early Saturday morning, in Rockham County in the Red Point apartment complex. The shooting occurred in off campus housing, though, although neither victim was a student at JMU. And so this, this, uh, event on Court Square uh, last weekend. 18-year-old Jaden Walker, one of Fields' friends and one of the organizers of the event, said Fields was his teammate on the football team. He recalled the moment he heard the news of Kalor's passing. My heart dropped and the first thing I did was I got on my knees and I prayed. I prayed. I prayed for his mom to be protected through this devastating thing that happened, he said. Walker said he wanted this this event to send a clear message. Put guns down and just find ways of solving problems other than killing each other, he said. The best thing to do is just pray on it or talk it out with a person because the gun doesn't do nothing but cause grief. Dozens of teens, law enforcement officers, Harrisonburg officials, and some who didn't know Fields all agree that gun violence has to stop. Walker's hope is that Harrisonburg will be a safe city for future generations and that people will learn that gun violence is not an appropriate way to display emotion. Walker said this is the first of many events to come to stop gun violence in the local community and beyond. And uh, now I'm going to switch to uh, something that happened the Monday after the uh, murder um, at Harrisonburg High School. Following the death of 17-year-old Color Fields over the weekend, students from Harrisonburg High School staged a walkout Monday afternoon to honor Fields' memory and to call attention to the ever-growing crisis of gun violence in America. At 2.05 p.m., the entire student body poured out of the school and onto the football field, where many carried signs begging for an end to gun violence. Harrisonburg City School Superintendent Michael Richards, who heard about the, the student led walkout earlier in the day was on hand, on site to offer support to the students, faculty, staff, and members of Kalor's family who were also invited. The students lined up in a massive circle around the football field and stood quietly while Kalor's mother, Candace Strozer, and other members of the family were escorted into the football field. As the family wept and embraced each other, they were quickly surrounded by friends from school. Richard said that the walkout signaled to him that society needed to do more to combat the surge in gun violence in the country. And I hope you're not thinking particularly about the solution to, um, in other words, it was oh, it talked a lot about gun violence and they wanted to stop gun violence. And um, th- that's probably in order. And so the concerns that were expressed and the support that was shown, all that is in order. And far be it from me to condemn, but what are the answers to society's problems? Give me understanding according to thy word, is what we read in Psalm 119. Um, Here again, um, from Howley's Bible Handbook, every christian ought to be a bible reader it is the one habit which if done in the right spirit more than any other one habit will make a christian what he ought to be in every way if any church could get its people as a whole to be devoted readers of god's word it would revolutionize the church if the churches of any community as a whole could get their people as a whole to be regular readers of the bible it would not only revolutionize the churches but it would purge and purify The community as nothing else could. There's a lot of truth there. Now, you know, we could discuss that a long time. It's not just reading the Bible, it's living it out. Um, But at this party, dozens of young people at a party in the wee hours, Friday night, Saturday morning, with what all might be going on. What homes? What homes did they come from? Some years ago, Ben Martin uh, made the comment to the effect that the more and more broken homes we have, the more and more troubled youth we will have. The family unit is the foundation of society, of a civilization, and with the breakdown in the family unit, it's the problems. Okay, so a couple, several weeks ago. Uh, there was this uh, sweet 16 party in Dadeville, Alabama, I think it was, over 50 youth in a 1,000 square foot room. And um, there were some fellows came that weren't invited to the party. They showed up in a gunfight and, well, who fired first, maybe is question. But these six people in a matter, I guess, of a few seconds or, well, I don't know about those details, but. The police found 89 shell casings. There were four killed and 32 wounded out of 50-some that were there. And so a sweet 16 party. I mean, what all going on, who knows? But again, I say the family is the foundation of a society. And when the family breaks down, society unravels. It's the bedrock of a civilization. And so you'll never read anything about that in the news as far as the cause of these problems. They talk about gun violence and personally I think there could be more restrictions on how easy it is for people to get guns. Um, but that's not going to solve the problems. It's not, and it's not a political solution. Um, you know, I was uh, since the Supreme Court ruling, there's been rallies on abortion. There's been rallies about all this and people stirred up. And um, like I saw one where the sign was, abortion is health care. And I thought, murder is health care. It, it, it's contradictory. Murder is health care. And the the verse, thought about the verse, and. Isaiah says, judgment is turned away backward, justice stand far off, truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. And there's another one in Isaiah, also similar. Let's see what that one says. Isaiah 5:12 says, They regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. We were in Psalm 119. I'll just quick go there again. A couple of verses. Psalm 119, 142 says, Thy law is the truth. And Psalm 151, 119, 151 says, All thy commandments are truth. We're talking about truth. Thy word is truth. And it says, All thy commandments are truth. In the universe, there are physical laws and there are consequences if you violate those laws. If you go around a curve too fast and ignore the law of centripetal force, uh, there's liable to be a serious accident. Could be injuries, could be pain, could be fatalities. And when people ignore the moral laws of the universe, I mean, what's life like nowadays? And it's easy to criticize, but with people sleeping around, whoever, and changing opinions and so on, no wonder there's jealousy and hatred and killing and so on, uh, and that may not be the cause of these at all. I don't know, uh, but certainly there's a breakdown in the family. And so, when, with all the gender confusion that's going on and so on, um, when people ignore the moral laws of the universe, there's going to be pain. There's going to be damage. There's going to be fatalities. And I was, all this stuff about gender confusion. And, you know, they say these people need protection because they have higher rates of suicide. They have higher rates of depression because simply, supposedly, because they're not accepted and affirmed. And, you know, to suggest that their struggles might be because they're rejecting God's moral code, that would be considered hate speech. And so that's truth has fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Man's reasoning will pass away, God's word will not pass away. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And then Psalm 19. You know, Psalm 19 is also about the word, God's revelation. The first part is his revelation in creation, and the last part is his revelation in his spoken word, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are right. The fear of the Lord is clean. So that incident there close to Mabel, that was one thing that made me just think about the truth, absolute truth, the answers to life. And the answers to why things are the way they are, the explanations, in, in broad, general, foundational terms. Another thing that prompted this message, 50 some years ago, I was standing outside after an evening service. I was standing outside, probably over there among the trees, uh, talking to another young fellow. And it was over the time of Southeastern Conference being formed, and there were meetings to explain the procedures and the processes and, and um, how everything was taking shape and so on. And I remember talking to this other young fellow and I said, to me, the bottom line is, does this mean what it says? And he said uh-huh. to me, he said, that's bibliolatry. And I kind of wrote him off. I understand better now what he was, his concern. Um, it, um, I don't know if I have that here or not. I thought I brought a, um, Something I thought I would read that I think illustrates his concern, but let me see. Yeah, here it is. It's a little poem in this uh, track called Operator's Manual about the Bible, and some of you may be familiar with it, but it's How Readest Thou? It is one thing to read the Bible through, another thing to read to learn and do. Some read it as their duty once a week, but no instruction from the Bible seek. Some read to bring themselves into repute by showing others how they can dispute, while others read because their neighbors do to see how long it'll take to read it through. Some read it for the wonders that are there, how David killed a lion and a bear, while others read it with uncommon care, hoping to find some contradictions there. One reads with father's specks upon his head and sees the things just as his father said. Some read to prove a pre-adopted creed, Hence, understand but little what they read. For every passage in the book they bend to make it suit that all-important end. Some people read, as I've often thought, to teach the book instead of being taught. And some there are who read it out of spite. I fear there are but few who read it right. So many people in these latter days have read the Bible in so many ways that few can tell which system is the best for every party contradicts the rest. But read it prayerfully and you will see, although men contradict, God's words agree. For what the early Bible prophets wrote, we find that Christ and his apostles quote, So trust no creed that trembles to recall what has been penned by one and verified by all. forget what the meaning of that last phrase was I'll have to check, think on that but in other words it was saying don't be afraid to trust a creed that's based on the word of God and so I think my friend's concern was how people take this woodenly in other words there are people who read this book, maybe read it every year, but their life doesn't match the life of Christ. They don't let the book change them. And just some illustrations of that, some stories. Some of you may have read these stories in Perspectives of Truth. The Birthday Candles, that satisfied feeling, both illustrate that concern about people feeling really good about themselves and thinking they're in line with this book, and yet they're so far from what it really teaches. And so if a person can read the Bible and be satisfied with a life that doesn't match the life of Christ, something's wrong. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. But anyway, we do have a wonderful treasure. See, that's a children's song, isn't it? I have a wonderful treasure, the gift of God without measure. And so we travel together, my Bible and I. And so it is a treasure. And how how much do we treasure it? Let's see. Some of you have probably read the story of Mary Jones in her Bible. I've got this edition. And actually, it's historical fiction. They had, of course, a lot of conversations, and so on that went on uh, between her and her parents and things. Uh, the, the basic facts are the same. There's a few facts that are wrong. Uh, when she got her, actually, when she finally got her Bible, uh, the um, fellow gave her three instead of one, like it says in this book. But she had saved her money for six years before she had enough money to buy a Bible and then she walked 25 miles one way to a man that had a Bible. This was in Wales. I, I don't think we can imagine or identify with having to save our money. Okay so that was from nine years old to 15 years old. how many young people today would have to save their money for six years to afford a Bible? And how do we spend our money? But that's how much she treasured getting a Bible. How much do we treasure the Word of God? So what is the Bible to you? Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Where do you get your light? From the news or on your computer or the phone that feeds you what you want to hear after it learns how you think? From social media? How much time do you spend with this compared to those? And when you do spend time with the word, is it duty or devotion? Are you hungry or obligated? I was thinking about the contrast. In, uh, this is just a comparison now. In Martyrs Mira, which came out about 1660. So T.J. Von Brat was collecting these martyr stories in the decade before that or whatever. In Holland, Amsterdam, there's freedom. There was economic opportunities and so on. He collects all these martyr stories And in the introduction, you ought to read it, pages eight and nine and so on, he says, the times in which we live are more dangerous times. How in the world could he say that? Living in the freedoms there in Holland and Amsterdam or whatever, compared to what was going on when the martyrs were getting slaughtered in the 1500s. And he says, these are more dangerous times. Read it and find out why he says that. But I'm thinking about Well, let's see, what there was something in here, in Halley's Bible Handbook, what did he say? We are intelligent about everything else in the world. Why not be intelligent about our religion? We read newspapers, magazines, novels, and all kinds of books and listen to the radio by the hour. Well, you have to understand this is quite old. Yet most of us do not even know the names of the Bible books. Shame on us, shame on us. Well, I think we probably do know the names of the Bible books. But people in times past, when they had to keep the Bible in secret, when Owning a Bible may have been a death penalty, if you were found out. And now we have this freedom of access, in different translations, which is good. But, is... Is it more dangerous now than it was when owning the Bible was a death sentence? In other words, do we take it less seriously, much less seriously than what they did? With all the voices today, and I know we're affected because I hear what people say over the last election, and so on, and other stuff. Uh, In fact, someone just said to me not too long ago, about um, talking about the, um, oh, what's going on in Haiti, with all the disintegration there, and the gang violence, and people fighting each other like crazy. Um, And they said, with what's going on in this country, it might come to that too. And they was talking about the polarizations, and ideas, and so on. And we can get involved in that thinking. And with all these voices and all this stuff that's going on, we need, we need divine guidance to rise above that confusion. We ought to be, we ought to be on a plane above that and not wallowing down here in all this stuff that's going on and all this conversation that's going on and all these ideas that people have. We ought to be founded here and it's above all that carrying on. We we need to stay saturated with the truth of God's word. I brought this and uh, don't really have time to go into it in depth, but it's an illustration of a person that has his hand on God's word. Each finger's got something, and so Psalm one and two meditate, meditate like. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And if you're getting a lot of information from social media and the news, that's what you're doing. You're in Psalm 1:1. Psalm 1:2 says, <laughs> "I have to get it in order." Um, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his delight, that he meditate day and night? And he shall, excuse me, he shall, be like, he shall be like a tree and so on. Okay, that's meditating in a word. That's what we need to do to keep our perspective with all the voices that are floating around. And then memorize the word. Thy word have I had in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hiding God's word in their heart. And then here's study, that's Acts like seventeen eleven about the Bereans, I think. Read the word, Revelation 1, 3. Hear the word, Romans ten seventeen, uh, 17. <clears throat> and, and just a word on that thing about memorizing the word. Um, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of joints and marrow and, of the, joint, and of the soul and spirit and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then uh, Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What does that mean? The sword of the spirit. And I, I think this illustrates the sword of the spirit. Uh, once upon a time in a congregation there was this, uh, okay. So there was, <clears throat> there was young children and the uh, <clears throat> the um, family was homeschooling and uh, there was this young lady that was there in voluntary service that was helping out with just so uh, they could get everything done that needed to be done. And it was a first generation Anabaptist family. The father had definite ideas and opinions and when they were discussing things and he would Um, be going on about his thoughts. Well, the the young lady, she's a very modest, meek young lady, and she wasn't about to contradict him. She had a lot more Bible knowledge than he did. But sometimes, the mother said, the mother said sometimes the young lady would just quote a Bible verse. That's all she would do. She would just quote a Bible verse that spoke directly to what he was talking about. See, that's the sword of the Spirit. But now you can't do that unless you have it in your heart. Thy word have I heart. She had those verses memorized and when she needed them, they came out. And I could give other illustrations, but I won't. I'll close with Psalm 19. I was going to, well, I'll share this one yet. Uh, read the Bible, truth, wisdom, hope. Mark Yoder, <clears throat> uh, almost every Saturday morning, he goes out to Mabel, and and now his legs are weak. He's got a, some sort of physical problem. they are trying to figure out, but he would stand in the median holding sign, and I think it's kind of a shame that he didn't have much help. Once in a while, I go out and help him, and sometimes I go up at the corner there and hold the sign. But hey, read the Bible, truth, wisdom, hope. That's what we got to offer the world. And we shouldn't be too ashamed, actually, to even go out and hold the gospel sign. Psalm 19, verse 10 and 11 and 14. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord my strength and my redeemer.